Well, good morning, church. Uh, it is great to see you all. I'm, I'm so excited to, to have this opportunity to, to bring the word to you guys this morning. This isn't something I take lightly. And so I'm excited to get into this bright and spry and light passage out of James this morning. Um, so for the past few weeks, we've been walking through the book of James. And James is an interesting book. Uh, there's, there's a lot of difficult things uh, to wrap our heads around, but there's so many Um, good and helpful nuggets of truth in here that we can just apply to our lives. Um, And so last week, Pastor Jez talked to us about the differences between worldly wisdom, which produces death and sin and destruction, and godly wisdom, which produces peace and righteousness, right? And so we know when James wrote this text, he didn't write the verse numbers or the chapters. It was all one letter. And so what we are reading and getting into today directly connects with um, Jez's sermon last week on the differences of wisdom. Uh, But before we get into the text, just a short illustration to embarrass myself. Um, Back in the glory days of high school or secondary school, I played sports and I was not good at all, not athletic. I tripped over myself all the time. But I had some killer calf muscles, like right here, you know, just incredible, okay? But the issue was is that they would cramp so easily. Like within 15 minutes of playing anything, I would just be on the ground screaming, crying. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a calf cramp or for whatever reason have seen a picture of one, but it creates this weird indention in the muscle, and so it's like a divot. And mine would be like so deep, it was like you could eat a bowl of cereal out of it. It was awful. Yeah, not nice. Um, Although it was hot and I was sweating a lot, it happened because one, I didn't hydrate enough, and two, um, I had terrible form. I would run on my toes for whatever reason. And so I, I couldn't blame the circumstances. It was my fault. I was the problem, which takes me to my first point of today's message, you are the problem. <laughs> yeah, very bright. So I'll read a few verses, break it down, and we'll move on, okay? So starting in verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Now, I said, I know I I said you are the problem, but but let's keep in mind, James isn't writing this book to you. He's writing it with specific churches in mind. So that's James saying to the people he's writing to that they're the problem, okay? Um, So what do we see in the first two verses here, right? Well, we see there's a war going on. This is intense. This isn't like they're arguing about the color uh, to paint the walls. It says they're they're fighting. They're quarreling. It even says they're murdering one another. This is some some heavy issues going on in this church. We see destructive division. It is not a healthy community. And James asks this rhetorical question, right? And he responds to it with another rhetorical question. He asks, what is the source of all these issues? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? 
So we've seen all the issues in the church. Everything we're seeing is because of the sin in your heart. It's not circumstantial. It's, it's not because the church was facing persecution. It's not because they had bad childhoods or their father wasn't around. It's saying the problem is the sin in you. It's the sin in your heart. I mean, we see they're, they're desiring and lusting after things. and They're murdering and warring to obtain them, and yet it's not working. So we see two wars here. A war within and then a war among the people, among the believers in the church. And so the war within, when if we lose it to sin, always leads to a war among other people. Now, quick show of hands, how many people have ever heard the advice, just follow your heart, just follow your heart? I I know I have. Now, when you you come to a crossroads, it's a difficult decision. Many of you are, are not even from the UK, so maybe you heard that about trying to decide if you wanted to come or not. I'm going to be honest with you. It's the worst advice you can ever receive or ever follow. Okay? That's, that's harsh and intense. I know, but, but the, what does the Bible say? Oh, come up behind me. In Jeremiah, the prophet famously says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else, and it's incurable. Who can trust it? And then Jesus in Matthew 15 says, For from the heart comes evil thoughts, Murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and blasphemies. Our heart is corrupt. We can't trust it. When we follow our heart, we will be led into sin. And when our, our sin leads us, it will destroy everything around us, including the community we're a part of. And that's exactly what we've seen here. This is why James is speaking so intensely, because... These issues are destroying the body. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are secured, the, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But we're, we're in the, the, the weird side of eternity where we're saved, but we're also, um, sin corrupts everything, including us. We're still tempted by our sin, right? It's the already but not yet. We, we are already saved but the fullness of our salvation has yet to be revealed. So we still struggle with sin, right? This is um, the Romans 7 reality. In Romans 7, Paul writes this, this beautiful excerpt of the problem of sin in us. And he says, you know, I know the good I want to do, but I just can't seem to do it. Beloved, we're the exact same way. We're not that much different than the churches that that James is writing to, we know the good we're supposed to do, but oftentimes it just seems like we can't do it. It's it's back to that concept of the war, the war within. Our flesh versus our spirit. Our hearts versus our souls. In verse 3, we see that the Christians, they're not only letting their sin lead their relationships with one another, but with God as well. It says they're literally asking God to give them the desires of their sin. And this is, this is bad. This is not a good situation. So what does James say to this? What is his response? In verse 4, we read, 
Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scriptures say that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? We continue the theme of intensity here, right? Adulteresses, James says. Now, this language is supposed to, to, to call back to the Old Testament. Um, if you've spent much time in the Old Testament, you'll know that the story of Israel is consistently them turning away from God and following um, idols or the gods of other nations. Like Israel, they're, they're not a faithful people. And so this rebuke is supposed to emphasize um, the unfaithfulness to God and how these believers, these churches, are serving their creaturely desires over their creator. And we know we cannot serve two masters. Jesus teaches that himself. We cannot serve both the world and God, which is what we see is happening in these churches. Right? The ideology of the world says, you know what? Your truth is my truth. Or your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. We can live and be married, doesn't matter, right? This is what Pastor Kinney talked, on, uh, talked about a few weeks ago. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says that I am the way, the life, and the truth. None can come to the Father except through me, right? The world says that you can make your own destiny. You can manifest anything into existence. If you want it, it is yours to be had. And the scripture teaches that God has declared the end from the beginning, and he is sovereign over every particle in the universe. God has declared our destiny, not us. So we can't serve both the world and God. We can't be of the world and say we believe the gospel because we're lying to ourselves if that's the case. We're called to be salt and light, to be holy, to be set apart, If you're a Christian, you're to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Peter, uh, in his letter, he calls believers aliens, exiles, temporary residents, foreigners. Guys, we don't belong here. If you're a Christian, this world is not your home, right? Paul, Paul calls this body a temporary tent. It's a vessel, but what then is our relationship with the world? If we're not supposed to be friends with the world, like this church is doing, what then do we do? Do we then go out in the country and form a commune and build up walls and never talk to anyone and stay in our holy huddle? Absolutely not, no. We do what Jesus did, right? We follow his example. And what did he do? He went to sinners. He went to the outcast of society. He went to, to the sick the broken, to the people who uh, were, would have received the death penalty under Jewish law, and he loved them well. He dined with them, but he proclaimed truth to them, and that's what we're to do. We love people well, and in doing that, we proclaim the gospel where we go, right? This is the Great Commission, right? Matthew 24, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, not just convenient ones, not ones that, that, that you know, um, Make your standard, right? Not, not the one that check your boxes, right? But all nations. And we continue here. We, we see this concept in verse 5 
that the Spirit who lives in us yearns jealously. What does it mean for God to be jealous? That seems very human. That seems, that's, that's what we struggle with. That's a sin, right? Envy. But God's jealousy is radically different. See, when we're jealous, we, we desire someone's things or their gifts. But when God's jealous for us, he desires our hearts, our souls. You see, God, he gave us life. If you're a Christian, he redeemed you. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What does that mean? Well, it means when, when God becomes our ultimate satisfaction, the fullness of our joy, then he is glorified in us. God desires our hearts for his glory and our good. Not so he can have us as slaves, but so that he can have us as sons and daughters. But this church, they're forsaking God, and they're just asking him for sin. So what does James say? We, we've gotten really intense here. We've gotten a lot of bad news, right? James lists out their sin, and he rebukes them. Does he continue with this? No, in verse 6, he says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Beloved, that's good news. That is good news. And this is the, the turning point, even the main point of the whole book of James, right? Before this, reading this book, I'm sweating, I'm squirming, I'm uncomfortable because I see how I'm just like the people that James is writing to. I'm like the man who goes in front of the mirror and walks away and forgets my face. I'm like uh, all too often the man who denies the people in need. My faith does not always match my actions. We will fail, and we have failed. We at uh, Second City Church are not perfect. We're not sinless. There will be times, especially Terry, we'll be, there will be times um, in, in our fellowship where we are greedy with one another, where we're prideful and we let our sin lead us. But I tell you this morning, if you are in Christ, God gives greater grace. For liars and hypocrites, God gives greater grace. For idolaters and adulterers, God gives greater grace. For murderers and warmongers, God gives greater grace. Beloved, take heart because the blood of the king of creation is sufficient to cover your sins. And it's God's gift. This is the great exchange. Okay, that all we have to offer him is our sin, is our envy, is our murdering. And he takes it and gives us his righteousness instead. And beloved, the righteousness of God is irrevocable. You cannot lose it. This, takes, this was my second point, by the way, that I missed. God gives greater grace. But I don't want us to rush past this warning we see. Right? God resists the proud. What does that mean? Well, it means we do not save ourselves. We don't receive salvation by pounding on our chest, say, oh God, on my own accord, by my own wisdom, by my own strength, I have found you, and I say you're good enough for me. No, we're saved by recognizing our depravity and our need for him. Now, Bailey and I, my wife, we've had the privilege of working with, 
with Muslims for a few years now. Um, and Muslims are the most hospitable, most incredible people. And oftentimes in conversations, this may be more for Arabs, Ali, but oftentimes I've experienced, they'll use the phrase, inshallah, inshallah. This means if God wills it. And so this can, this can be like a really just commonplace phrase that doesn't hold much weight, and they'll use it in more serious conversations. So, for example, hey, are you going to get married one day? Inshallah. Are you going to come over for dinner? Inshallah. But in conversations about salvation, do you know if you'll be saved? Inshallah, if God wills it. And see, this is the great difference between Christianity and every other system of beliefs. The Muslim has to say, if God wills it, but our God said, it is finished. And because it's God's grace, because it's his gift, it's his righteousness that saves us, we can have full assurance of this salvation because it's not up to us. He did the work for us. This is good news. This leads me to my, my third point now. What, what do we do with this? Right? Okay. Um, we're, we're sinners. <laughs> You've called us out on this. You've reminded us that, that God's grace is sufficient to cover it. So, so what now? Well, James must have knew that I was going to preach this 2,000 years later because he gave us some great practical application. Right? So third point, submit and be free, starting in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's a lot of do's here, and I want us to be very careful, right? We are not saved by what we do, but by what he did for us, okay? Salvation is by grace, through faith, that's it, okay? Um, so I'm going to get into some, this is the practical application, like I said, and this is a list of things that James said that the congregation needs to do to get back on track, not only with each other, but with God, Okay, so part one of getting right is submission. Submit to God. Now, submission is an awkward word in our world today, right? It tells us, you know, we are strong enough, we're independent enough, we're good enough. You don't need to submit to anyone. You're your own master. But when we submit, we are freed. Submission, I think we could go back and forth on different definitions and figure this out. But ultimately, it's recognizing God's will is supreme, that he has authority um, as the author of all creation, and it's denying ourselves and following Jesus. It's dying to ourselves, even, and following him. Um, Matt Chandler, who's a, a pastor from the great state of Texas, um, Usually, he'll, he'll say something like this, that we make crummy kings. We're terrible. When we're in charge of our lives, it's terrible. It's terrible. And so we need to step off of our own throne and let God get on it. 
We need to let him rule over us. And he's a good God. He's a good God. Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. We're no longer our own selves when, we're, when we become Christians. We lose our identity and take on the identity of Christ. We even become our truer selves because of this. And we're freed from our sin. Okay, so if part one is submission, part two is resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is a promise. You see, I, I, I feel like there's this common uh, misconception that the devil is in hell right now and he's on a throne and he's reigning. That's his kingdom. That's a lie. The devil is in this world. First uh, Peter says that he is prowling around like a lion seeking to destroy. And if you are a Christian, then trials and tribulations and fire is promised to come. But through Christ, we are infinitely more powerful than the enemy that is here. We don't need to be afraid of him because he is afraid of him who is in us. 1 John 4.4 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the wor- world. See, the Greek word that uh, resist here is taken from is a term of war. It gives this picture of you know, fighting off an enemy without budging an inch. This is my sword. It's, it's an attack. It's not like you're, you're defensive. It's going after the enemy. And that's what we're to do. Go after the enemy. We, we have the weapon, right? We have the sword. We have the word. That's what Jesus did when, when he was tempted. Let's follow his example. Resist the devil and he will flee. When we're in Christ, the devil has no claim, no power, no authority over us. He, doesn't, he can't get a foothold within us. All he can do is flee when we proclaim the name of Jesus. That is the power we have. In Revelation, this is a future promise, but it's a really cool one. So they, the saints, have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So at the end of the age, the enemy will be defeated by the blood of Christ and by the proclamation of the gospel. That's the power that the gospel has. That's the power that the gospel has in us even. Part three, draw near to God, verse eight. We see this, God is near to us, guys. He bridged the gap himself between us and him. He tore the veil between creature and creator. He desired relationship enough with us to take on flesh and die in our place. And he, he, even, uh, he even sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within Christians. So God is near, and this is a promise we can put our hope in because he is the good shepherd who is leading us, leading us even through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, so struggles will come. Heartache will come, but we can 
trust in the Lord because He is sovereign and He has a purpose in our suffering. It's not wasted. Nothing is wasted. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Part four, recognize the severity of your sin. This, is, this, this can feel a little weird, guys. This uh, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to sorrow. That seems really dark. That's not, that's not like the self-help books we read, right? But this is saying recognize the severity of your sin. It's weighty. As we see in the first few verses of this chapter, it's war. It brings destruction. We, we need to understand its power and how it, it destroys and it breaks hearts. It's heavy. Understand the weight of your sin. And it should break our hearts that the perfect God of the universe had to die in our place because of our sin. So recognize it. In part five, humble yourselves. Once again, Matthew 23, Jesus, I didn't put it up here, but Jesus says the exact same thing. This is basically a verbatim quote. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, this is the path to receiving forgiveness, not only with God, but with others, right? Now, there are plenty of times when I sin against my wife. We're not perfect. I argue with her. Um, I'll, get, I'll get frustrated with her for no good reason. And the reality is, is eventually I'll recognize my error and I'll come, you know, ask for forgiveness. But she won't forgive me if I ask with a sense of pride, with an, a sense of entitlement, like I deserve her forgiveness. No, I, I have to humble myself before my wife. I have to acknowledge how I hurt her, and then I'll be forgiven. Right? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, before Christ, we were dead spiritually dead. We are enemies of God, children of, of wrath. I have a scripture in here I was meant to flip to. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Now, if you smush all my points together today, you get a nice little phrase. You will forget what I say. That's okay. That's okay. But this can be a phrase that you can remember this message by. Point one, you're the problem, right? But God gives greater grace. Therefore, submit and be free. And I want to exhort you this morning. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us recognize our brokenness and need for a Savior and accept the free gift of grace that He has offered through Christ. See, His Word assures us that He will keep us until we are walking with Him once again in His eternal kingdom. The promise is at the end of this age, the broken will be healed. The dead will be raised. Tears will be wiped. Death destroyed. Enemy obliterated. Sins washed. Filth cleansed. Glory revealed. The bride of Christ with God forever redeemed. This is the hope of the gospel. 
And this is what God is offering you today. If you have any other questions about what it may look like to be a Christian, please talk to Terry or Jez or Naomi. But that's all I have, so I'll pray for us today and invite whoever's up next. Um, Thank you. Lord, we praise you that even though we are dark, even though we are sinful and our hearts are evil, that you are good and you love us enough to die for us. We praise you that you want the relationship with us, that in you, through Christ, we can be made your sons and daughters, and we have a right to call you Father. Lord, will you speak to us today and let this word change our hearts, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.